baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We'll get to the uh, work persona story. Um, yeah. Hopefully today, but if not, you know, that's one that's an evergreen. But uh, some breaking news about this lawsuit filed against Meta today. 41 states, including Minnesota, filing a lawsuit alleging that the that Facebook and Instagram, Meta, intentionally makes these websites the social media sites, addictive mm-hmm. and addictive mm. to young people, including under 13. And we've yeah. talked about this many, many times on this show about whether or not, uh, you know, we debate it for adults. Is the benefits mm-hmm. of social media, do they outweigh the negative aspects? Because clearly there are both positives to social media and there are negatives to social media. Mm-hmm. Depends on the day for me. Some days I'm like, you know what? This is a cesspool. It really adds nothing to my life. Then there's other days where it's like, no, you know, I, I connect with people. I connect with the news. Um, but for kids, I have been one. I'll admit it. I the, the more I I feel like there should be more restrictions on kids using this stuff. And I say that as a parent of two kids who use social media all the time. And frankly, mm-hmm. I probably don't police them enough on it. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm the one on this show all the time. It says, you know what? It's a, it's my job. It's not the government's job to, to tell my kids what they can and can't do online. But in this one, I mean, if these are companies are actively targeting kids to try to get them addicted to this stuff, then I, I think it's time to step in. As parents or as the government? As the you government. With the lawsuit. With the lawsuit. Okay. Okay. Hold them accountable um, for this. I mean, if it's, yeah. you know, if the... If, if that's what they're doing, let's get to the bottom of it and figure it out because th- there's ample evidence of the harm it does to younger people. It's clear to me that I would not say Facebook. I mean, I haven't looked at Facebook in uh, Yeah, I don't think kids time. are on Facebook uh, anymore, A long time. Right? Yeah. yeah, kids are not on Facebook. That's right. Kids are not on Facebook. So Facebook is an adult problem. But Instagram and moreover TikTok, and I know that TikTok isn't named in the lawsuit, but yes, Instagram, but a lot of TikTok – the algorithms that are used are definitely addicting. They feed you stories that you stay on. And Maddox and I were just talking about this yesterday in our walk. He said that if you stay on for longer than even 10 seconds, we used to think it was a minute. But now he says if even 10 seconds, it will feed you another video that yeah. is similar to that. So he knew he had to take a break because he was so getting so much anti-Semitism because, you know, he's looking about things about the war. So he knew he had to take a break. But he said it absolutely keeps it coming. I have watched my kids, you know, we're sitting on the couch watching a movie together or whatever. They might be on their phone or they check it and then they get sucked in. Adam, this has happened to you. You have told me yes. that TikTok has become it's addicting totally to you. It's totally. A, it's a, uh, yes. it, 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 it's a time evaporator. Yes. You get on yes. TikTok, That's, you mm-hmm. lose an hour like that. It's like listening Correct. to this show. You boy, you, <laughs> you listen to this show, you get so engaged. There go three hours of your life. And you're like, wow, that was really engaging. No, here's a perfect example of it. And this is from me, somebody who has worked as mm-hmm. in a career in the media. My whole career has been in radio and the media. 
and journalism and how to detect BS from the re- reality. The other day, I'm flipping through TikTok, and here's a good-looking guy, probably 45 or so. He's just sitting at a table eating a cheeseburger, and he says, mm-hmm. hmm, think about this. Nobody uh, is charged for burning down a precinct in Minneapolis, yet someone who sang along to rap lyrics 10 years ago is canceled, and he takes a bite of the hamburger. And I'm like, what the hell was that? And it's some conservative guy. And at, I'm like, that is A, that's complete BS because plenty mm-hmm. of people were charged uh, in the third yes. precinct fire. But then because I watched it and I watched it again just to see what he was saying, right? Now my feed is suddenly full mm-hmm. of this, this guy doing all these different videos. And it's mm-hmm. just, and I can see how that is impactful on people. And then people get mm-hmm. wrong messages. And I'm not just saying it's messages from the right. I'm saying all kinds of messages get screwed up or purposely or gaslighted. And that is harmful. If that is the if that is the source of information yes. for a certain group of people, i.e. younger people, then that's a problem. That's a problem. It is. And that's it. The videos you watch, they feed you more of. So it becomes more isolationist. You become more in your bubble. It's feeding you more of what your confirmation bias is. And we all have it. We all want to see videos that support our ideology or what we believe to be true. So yes, social media has become complicit in putting us in our different tribes, in dividing us. And that has clearly had an effect on society. So you know what, Adam? I don't always love the government telling companies, private industry, what they can do. But I think for this, if we are seeing societal effect as damaging as it is, look at what's going on in Congress. Look at what, I mean, it's insane. Uh, Look at all the hate crimes that have arisen. I think that they now have a responsibility to say, not even to stop the algorithm, but somebody smarter than me has to figure that out to either offer a different video or offer or say you've watched 20 videos on, I don't know, Hamas, or you've watched 20 videos about Lauren Boebert or whatever it is. You know, you may want to consider watching something else. You may, you may want to, or, you know, even putting up every 20 minutes, we are not a credible news source. The videos you're watching are because you have been watching them in the past. Correct. They are reinforcing your confirmation bias, even just an alert like that. The videos you're watching are are reaffirming your confirmation bias. Heads up, and now back to yeah. TikTok. Maybe something like that to just get us to sort of pause. Well, in, or, or not us. We're grownups. We should know better. Kids, just get them to be like, oh. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. Confirmation bias. Because they do learn about this in school now. My 17-year-old is learning about this in school now. Yeah. Confirmation bias and how we how we digest social media. But you're right. I do think that we are still at the infancy of social media. You know, it just started in, in 2007 when Facebook and Twitter launched. I know that's crazy. It was just 2007. But um, we do. We need to take a pause and we need to understand the impact. And maybe regulation uh, – no, not maybe. I'm sorry. I'll take a stronger stand. Regulation is in order at this point. Right. I'm not saying for adults. I'm saying, you know, whatever that age is. And again, there's another example of we should have a, you know, a definite age for everything. Whether, you know, okay, you, you're a child now, now you're an adult. Just to make it a little more universal. But no, I'm not suggesting that the government control certainly what I'm looking at on social media. That's government control. That's censorship. Mm-hmm. And that's the police state. I'm suggesting that 
We've got two texts suggesting about big tobacco. We don't let kids smoke. We don't let kids drink legally. And that's that's I don't think anybody disputes, you know what? That was a good thing for the government to step in there to you know to create a law that prevents kids from doing that. I think it's the same here. I think it's the same uh, because the harmful aspects of social media on an undeveloped brain, I think, is pretty damaging. It can be. Yes, it really can be. And um, I do think yeah, we're never going to fix good parenting, guys. We've we've discussed that. We're never going to create perfect parents. And by the way, none of us has done it perfectly either. Right. You know, we think our kids, the sun rises and sets on them. We're not perfect parents. We haven't done it perfectly and no one else is going to either. So, yeah. It's time, social media sites. And we're not saying shut you down. We're not even saying change anything, but put into place some kind of educational measures about what these kids are looking at. You know, give them a pause. I know there's there's apps that you can download on your kid's phone that give them a pause. Like, oh, if you've mm-hmm. been on social media for two hours, a bell rings. You set an alarm. Uh, the kids even know to do this themselves. Yeah. But well, that's if, a problem. if Adam's to addicted to TikTok, yeah, they, I mean, if Adam's addicted to TikTok, what what hope does a 13-year-old have? I don't. I, I understand your sentiment there, Jordan, but I don't really think education, I don't think telling our kids how addictive these things are is going to help. And like yeah. in smoking, I don't think telling people that nicotine and cigarettes were addictive addictive really helped the situation i think that helped for some people <laughs> yes i guess but i think some people are addicted and they're like yeah i wish i could quit but i can't stopping the distribution of an addictive product i think is what's actually needed to help i don't know that the education really does it um so yeah i've i've, I've, I've somebody texting here yeah you're right take the uh, it takes the government to protect the children because the parents can't do it anymore what a sad day this is about how about quit relying on the government to police your kids and how about that? That's what I said. I'm usually the one that says no. I mean, I parent my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't need the government to do that. But if it's widespread and they're putting in these social media uh, apps, if, if, if they're making them intentionally addictive to kids, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. That's something that I can't compete with as a parent, especially when they're doing the end arounds. Uh, we're getting lots of texts. We'd love some phone calls. Yeah. Let's keep the conversation going. Six five one four six one nine two two six. Is it time for the government to step in when it comes to social media exposure to uh, kids? Six five one four six one nine two two six. Your calls and texts next. Well, we talked about it yesterday. Does it matter if a Minnesotan is Speaker of the House? Well, Tom Emmer apparently is one step closer to the gavel so to speak. He is now the nominee uh, for Speaker of the House. Of course, Republicans behind closed doors today started with, I believe, eight nominees to be Speaker, and they whittled them down, and now it's a uh, Tom Emmer. Um, He'll be the third, so he's number three. Yep, we had Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, and now Tom Emmer, local boy, uh, to try to win over this party that is so fractured. And now, remember, Tom Emmer did vote to certify the election. So he is not a fallen line, or at least on this vote, wasn't a fallen line MAGA Republican. So I don't know how that will fare for him. Not well. In Yeah, in, because, in this final vote. Uh, because uh, he talked to former President Trump. Uh, but Steve Bannon uh, has been saying, uh, Tom, and if you look online, like it just if you look at reactions to Tom Emmer, if you like see responses, mm-hmm. like hardcore, full MAGA people uh, are not fans of Tom Emmer. They think he's swamp, is it, swamp is all the way. Is it just because? Because oh, he certified really? so the election. Be- 
Oh, and is he, that why? Is that the main part, reason? He was part of the leadership of, and they do. They want all the previous leadership gone. So McCarthy, Scalise, Emmer, that's just more of the same to them. And just to give you an idea of <laughs> of, of how tough it's going to be for Tom Emmer, why he shouldn't be, mm-hmm. you know, arranging his speaker's office yet. Jake Sherman from Punchbowl uh, News, who I follow quite a bit, he's uh, covers uh, Capitol Hill as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. He says he's reporting that Tom Emmer in the conference got fewer votes than oh, Jim God. Jordan got. Oh, so okay. clearly the far right of the Republican Party, the MAGA crowd, mm-hmm. uh, are not Tom Emmer people. So I don't know if that path to 217 is possible. And, you know, there's been talk, well, Tom Emmer could get possibly some Democrats to vote for him, you know, by doing some horse trading and saying, I'll give you this. Well, if that happens, oh, I mean, God. that even more of Repo- hard right Republicans who are part of this part, uh, part of this no compromise, uh, mm-hmm. don't give the Democrats anything, that will <laughs> they'll be even more anti emmer and they've got the rules now where one guy can vacate, can nominate right. to to vacate the speakership. So his tenure would be what two days maybe before they'd oust him. So yeah, if if we're talking about Republican unity, I, th- I don't think we're anywhere near that. It'll be interesting to see. And once they, I assume right now they're garnering. Okay, how many votes am I going to get? Can I get the two seventeen needed? But. Eh, it sure doesn't sound like that this is going to be any better for Republican unity and bringing those far-right Jim Jordan-type uh, Republicans into the fray. Because, again, he only can lose four Republican votes. Five, and he doesn't have, doesn't have the votes. It's interesting that the moderate candidate – well, okay, not that Jim or Steve Scalise was more moderate, but maybe Tom Emmer. You know, these are these are closed-door votes. These are votes where they can't see who's voting for which candidate. So – but the final vote – and correct me if I'm wrong. I, my uh, parliamentary practice is a little rusty here. Um, it, the final vote is public. Is that right, Adam? So everybody knows who you voted for? Uh, that I'm I'm not like conference yeah, votes. Ha- I'm not I have to sure it. because these are closed door, and I think, and I, I was even hearing pundits talk about that. That they think some people would be more reasonable a- and get a speaker elected if you know they're not outed. That oh, it was right. If they were, uh, yeah, they, if they were so private votes. Afraid. Oh, sure. Right. They yeah. are so afraid of like the MAGA backlash that they. Oh. You know, for we're sure. not publicly voting for Tom Emmer. Yes, exactly. But like, that, how terrifying is that? That that's what we're up against. You know, you're going to be mean to me, or you're going to say bad things about me, or you're going to go after my family if I don't vote the way that you are. Like, there, it's like political terrorism. Well, hidden, and it's awful that that's how we're functioning now. Hidden ballots would it would be dramatically different to see the results of votes in Washington if we had a hidden ballot system. Now, in fairness of transparency, I there's a lot of me, part of most of me doesn't want that. I want to see how yes, our I lawmakers understand. vote mm-hmm. too. But yeah, if they mm-hmm. if they don't have to get up there and say their name and how they're voting, mm-hmm. oh, there would be dramatically different outcomes for lots well, of the things see, that they're voting. I, I get it when it's voting on like policy. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand yes. why votes are important to the American public for transparency. And, and we want to see who you truly are in your soul. So if you vote against, you know, a policy that I want to pass, I want to know that so I can maybe change my vote when I go to the ballot box. That is how democracy works. But for something like this, and even after we have, first of all, if people are living in fear of not being able to vote their heart, A, that's a problem, but B, maybe because this is for speaker and it's, I don't know that it necessarily, I mean, I don't know. Does it matter that much to the electorate? Would your vote change if, if somebody you voted for voted to get a speaker? Maybe it would. I'm just trying to figure a way around it, a reasonable way around (laughs) finally getting a speaker elected while protecting members of Congress. Write a strongly worded letter and send it to Washington, D.C. because they need a little help right now. Uh, again, How we, uh, are we gonna solve this? I don't know, but breaking news, Tom Emmer, Minnesota's from the 6th District, has been nominated to be uh, the speaker, uh, but whether or not he has the votes to do it, highly, highly uh, Good luck. unknown at this point. And, and Jake Sherman, again, saying that he got, he's reporting that he got fewer votes in conference than Jim Jordan got, and we know that Jim Jordan failed uh, to earn speakership. So whether or not Tom Emmer will have the 217 votes required to become Speaker of the House, remains to be seen. But he is the next man up for the Republican Party. And whether or not he has the blessing of the former president, as Tim Pawlenty told us yesterday, it sure is Trump's party now. And by the way, Trump's got more legal cases today. It's hard to keep track of them all, Jordana. Speaking of the former president, let's do that, because there has been so much Trump news. Uh, It's a blur. So Rachel Polos, the former U.S. attorney for Minnesota, is going to join us to talk about uh, the Sidney Powell case where Trump said that she was never his attorney. The fact that he and Michael Cohen might be in in, uh, court facing off right now and the Jenna Ellis plea deal where she blames Giuliani. All of that with Rachel Polos next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. That might be the case in a Manhattan courtroom because Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former attorney and fixer, has taken the stand in a civil fraud trial against the former president. So they are um, meeting face to face. I mean, not really meeting, but what happened is that this is according to CNN. When Cohen walked in to the courtroom, he looked over quickly at the defense table uh, where Trump was. And then the first question from the attorney's general office was, get this, if Cohen was taking any medications that would inhibit his ability to testify truthfully at the trial. And Michael Cohen responded, no. So that's how this morning started for Michael Cohen. Joining us now to break down some Trump news, what it means, why it matters to us, is Rachel Paulos, a frequent guest of the show and a former U.S. attorney for Minnesota. Professor Paulos uh, is joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Great to have you again on the show. Nice to be here with you, Jordana and Adam. Okay, so today Michael Cohen is going to be testifying in court, what is expected that he will say? Are there any bombshells that you think will come out of today? 
Well, the expected testimony really relates to the things that Michael Cohen claims that he was doing at Donald Trump's direction, namely inflating the value of his properties mm-hmm. um, when it favored Donald Trump and deflating the value of the properties when it didn't favor Donald Trump, you know, for paying taxes mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, normally, an attorney couldn't speak about private communications with a client there's an exception to that rule when the client uses the attorney to perpetrate a crime, um, which is part of why Michael Cohen is allowed to testify about his interactions with Donald Trump. Um, he is a convicted felon. He has been, dis- Mr. Cohen, that is, is a convicted mm-hmm, felon. He mm-hmm. has been disbarred. He's not permitted to practice law in New York. And so I, I actually... Um, And certainly Donald Trump is going to be facing a very hostile jury in New York. Um, He's already um, disfavored himself in front of the judge and and prosecutor by calling them names on social media. And certainly there's been a lot of name calling between the president and his former lawyer, none of which is helpful to finding out the truth here. But I think actually the most compelling testimony is going to be is going to come from people who are um, professionals with no prior record. So, for example, the lead witness, Bill Kelly, who was a general counsel of the accounting firm Mazars that stopped working with the Trump organization um, a year ago because they felt that the financial statements were not accurate. That is uh, very interesting. And so it's really going to come down to, despite the big personalities here, what the mm-hmm. facts are and who's credible in relating why the numbers were what they were or that, were not that, what they should have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rachel, that word you just mentioned, credible, is the, <laughs> the question that I want to bring up because as a prosecutor, the people you bring up onto the witness stand, you want to be credible. You want the jury, obviously, to believe that person. You brought up all the – anybody who knows about Michael Cohen notice, notes that credible, meh, not exactly a word you <laughs> often associate with him. Is there a danger yeah. in bringing up – a witness like that, that it could backfire? There's absolutely a danger that it could backfire, um, particularly because Michael Cohen continues to do things that just reek of sleaziness. Um, (laughs) Bragging about facing your former client in court on social media is just not what a professional should do. Um, And it's particularly not what an attorney should do or a former attorney. And so um, I really think that with people like the former accountants, with people like forensic examiners, um, with people like professional investigators who've gone through these documents, uh, I'm I'm not sure that there was a need for somebody like Michael Cohen to take the stand. Hmm. And it certainly Uh, risks a distraction um, when President Trump is providing enough distractions on his own. The prosecution doesn't need to do that. I want to head to a different part, a a different case here. I want to move to Georgia. Now, this morning, Mm -hmm. uh, Jenna Ellis, Jenna is also an attorney, uh, like, well, Mm -hmm. I won't say like you, Rachel, I I won't say she's anything (laughs) like you, because she she is not. So uh, Jenna is an attorney. Uh, She is a conservative Mm -hmm. media figure, figure. And this morning, I watched as she tearfully read a statement uh, that says she looks back on that time where she tried to overturn the election with, quote, deep remorse. She's facing Mm -hmm. felony charges over the efforts to overturn uh, Donald Trump's 2020 election loss. And she says now, yeah, she did it and she feels bad about it. What does this mean for her 
in the case and then for President Trump in this case? Well, a felony conviction almost certainly means that that Ms. Ellis is going to be disbarred and will not be allowed to practice law, which is which would be devastating for any attorney to lose a profession that you've worked so so hard at. Um, the count is going up on the number of defendants who are willing to testify against the former president in the Georgia case. Uh, and so it's now at least four of 19 who who are stating that they plan to take the stand. And what they say will be uh, very important. It is not helpful to the to the former president that so many of these people, Cohen, um, uh, Alice, uh, Sidney Powell, are attorneys. And so there's a theme here. Uh, and the recurrent theme and Giuliani. really, mm-hmm. and Giuliani. And so the question mm-hmm. is, was the president, the former president, deliberately seeking out attorneys who would tell him what he wanted to hear and do what he wanted them to do? Was he using them per- to perpetrate frauds, or did he just have a, 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 an ability to attract exceptionally um, uh, bottom of the barrel attorneys <laughs> who <laughs> That's judicious uh, of you is, bad yes. advice? I'm trying to Frappy phrase it as dramatically right. as I can, um, <laughs> but not me. But <laughs> but this is a problem, and the Sidney Powell um, misdemeanor um, plea deal is a problem, uh, and the circus that's going on with her right now is a problem for him. The question of whether or not she's even his attorney is is yeah. a problem, and so. Um, so, sorry, go ahead, Jordana. No, I, I'm sorry, and Adam, I didn't mean to uh, to, to interrupt you, but she, that, that I exactly wanted to talk about that because a few days ago, Trump tweeted or X'd or whatever it is that that Sidney Powell was never his attorney, but mm-hmm. we all saw her standing next to him, talking with him to him, you know, in rejection of the uh, of the election. So. Can we at any point believe that she was not his attorney when, I mean, I guess maybe standing next to somebody doesn't mean you're their attorney, but isn't there proof of this? So this is interesting. When we look back, because claiming that she's not his attorney is a way of President Trump saying basically he's not responsible for her actions. And so when we look at just the facts here, what points towards uh uh, a, a, an attorney-client relationship, because clearly they had some kind of professional relationship. She was uh, in meetings. She was speaking, allegedly, on his behalf. She was involved in the post-election attempts to um, overturn the election. And so what was the nature of that relationship? And so the one thing that we know is that she she was appearing in these meetings, and beyond that, that he posted on social media state welcoming her to, quote, his legal team. But then we have these other factors that suggest that that relationship was never formalized as an attorney-client relationship. So she testified in front of the January 6th committee that she was a special counsel to investigate fraud, not his personal attorney. Um, Both of them, both parties, uh, the former president and Ms. Powell, denied that there was any any attorney-client relationship. Um, there was no formal engagement letter, which I think in most states and for many judges is going to be very critical because the best practice, according to the American Bar Association, is to formalize a relationship in writing. And, and anyone who's had um, any kind of dealings with a lawyer knows 
um, everything is reduced to, to writing. And so the absence of that could be key. I think what's also interesting is that the president, the former president, apparently declined to follow her advice. The special counsel, Jack Smith, claims that the president described Powell as, quote, crazy, his words, not mine. And he did not he did not follow her instructions to seize voting machines and declare martial law. And so that, again, is a factor pointing to to um, uh, some an absence of an attorney client relationship. But regardless, I think the key question is still what information can she share if she's not his attorney? She can talk about everything and completely throw Mr. Trump and the other co-defendants under the bus. So uh, it doesn't help him terribly to claim that she's not his attorney because it just gives her more leeway to talk about everything. If she were his attorney, um, she'd be prohibited from disclosing a lot of things under the, a lot of information under the attorney client privilege. That, and she's not the only one who's <laughs> reached a plea deal now to testify against other people. I mean, they, they, right. there's other people exactly. doing that. We're talking to Rachel Paulos, former uh, U.S. attorney for Minnesota. I wanted to ask you about the gag orders because getting Donald mm-hmm. Trump to stop, you know, criticizing people uh, associated with the case or stopping him from saying anything about the case, I'd have a better chance of playing on the PGA Tour than getting him to stop that. So my 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 question is this. If a judge is ruling, if a judge has the final say of this, what can be done to stop him from doing that? Is there a scenario that Donald Trump could like get thrown behind bars for violating gag orders in any of these cases? Yes, there is a scenario where he could be jailed for violating a gag order. I think the question you raise is maybe the most interesting coming out of the New York trial is, is, is that judge's gag order constitutional? Because the Supreme Court has said that in, in general, gag orders are a, what, what lawyers call a prior restraint on speech and they're unconstitutional unless the publicity would harm the defendant's right to a fair trial, one, Two, the gag order is the least restrictive way of ensuring uh, fairness. And three, the gag order is effective, which, as you just pointed out, Adam, is, is just not going to happen in a trial with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really question whether the gag order will, A, be effective and B, be um be upheld as constitutional if the Trump team decides to challenge it. And if you think about this, if the defendant's name were anything but Donald J. Trump, is this the kind of world we would want where the government gets to say what whatever its claims are against yeah. a, a trial and the defendant is completely gagged? I mean, speaking as someone who is now a defense attorney, um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that's right. fair um, for my clients. Mm-hmm. Um it would be completely one-sided, uh, but I, I think in this case, as as you say, um, there is a real question of whether the defendant's even going to follow the order. Um, and so we'll see if it's if it results in him being if it results in the former president being thrown in jail, or if it results in the judge being overturned on appeal. Either way, um, no shortage of interesting news from Trump world. Oh, it's crazy, Rachel. And and Rachel, with the one minute we have left, do you honestly think that the former president would ever see any jail time? Well, I think it's quite possible if he continues to say things that um, that identify court personnel that could lead to safety issues. I think 
The judge has, um, Judge Erdogan has, has signaled increasing impatience um, with Mr. Trump. And uh, I think in a, in a state like New York, where again, it's about as hostile a, a jury and judge pool as you could find to Donald Trump. Uh, many things are possible. Not everything is possible, but many things are possible. Yeah. It's one thing if you're, you know, just claiming, making your case, saying I'm innocent, I'm innocent. It's another thing if you're doing things that threaten people or or considered tampering in any way. That's that's a that's a different. That's absolutely yeah. right. Anything that's considered obstruction of justice, um, I think, could cross the line. Rachel, thank you for the time today. We'll, I'm sure we'll be speaking mm-hmm. uh, in the future. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel Paulos, former uh, U.S. attorney for Minnesota. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in. Baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.